que se muerde y deja un agridulce de perversidad. Tu boca de chavala, tu boquita que reza, pero que si besa se vuelve mala, mala. Sabor de fruta verde, de fruta que se muerde, Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud About Film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And today we are continuing with our mini Arturo Ripstein project. Today we're going to be talking about The Black Widow, La Viuda Negra. Your overall impression of this, Richard? Yeah, I thought it was great. I think I enjoyed it more than The Castle of Purity, in fact, which I, which I also really enjoyed. I loved it. It's a very strange film. I tried reading up on it, actually, and I was surprised by how little uh, there is online on the film. All I could garner is that it's based on a novel, which is called uh, De Viera Ver Obispas, which means there should have been wasps or bees, stinging bees, mm -hmm. by Rafael Solana, and that both the novel and the film were censored. So that mm. the film, which was made in 1977, was only released in 1983, right? So that is really all I was able to garner. Yeah, the, the only other thing I was able to find out is that there was apparently a, a, a telenovela TV series based on the book as well in 1964, which surprised me, as you say, given, given that this film was effectively banned. Uh, I imagine the TV series must have been incredibly sanitized or yeah. possibly it's Wikipedia being wrong and it's just a TV series of the same title because I can find no no information about it. I hope our friends who work on exploitation cinema or B cinema or trash cinema, there are so many names that this goes by, kind of are listening because to me this is a prime example of a film that's clearly an exploitation film. The whole film in many ways uh, is uh, devoted to show uh, the body of its star Isela Vega, yeah, who plays Matea Gutierrez in the film. The film is full of like close-ups of her crotch or her naked. The film is devoted to showing off her body. And clearly the raison d'etre of the film, possibly in the minds of the producers, was to do just that, right? Mm. It is an exploitation film of that period, right, in which, you know, the sight of a woman's breast is meant to have audiences flocking in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it's that kind of film, you know, but I think it's also a great film. It's an art film. It's a film that's kind of really critical of the pieties of bourgeois life, uh, the criminality of a class, you know, the hypocrisy of the church. It tackles all of those subjects kind of really vividly in a way that is so kind of memorable. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's slightly, you could say, having its cake and eating it because it, it's both a critique of the patriarchy while simultaneously showing the lead actress naked a lot. So. I mean, it, it is definitely using the woman's body to make, well, to, to attract audiences and at the same time to critique society. Paradoxically, it gives that woman a lot more agency and yeah, character yeah. and prominence, you know, than 99.9% .9 of the films of this type. Yeah, right? yeah. So I think that needs to be said as well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's begin at the beginning. What did you make of the opening sequence, the preamble? 
I really, really enjoyed that. The film starts, the lead, lead character is abandoned as a baby in a, in a convent uh, or in a church, and she's brought up by nuns. And you then see this sequence of little vignettes of her at various ages. The things she's doing are just mostly just kind of childish things. So mm. she sort of eats the communion wafers because she thinks they're sweets. And she's kind of, my favourite one was when she's peeking up the gown of the the icon of the angel to see what, it's, <laughs> see what the angel's got underneath its pants, you know. Um, and obviously each time she's then caught by the nuns or the priests and, 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 and punished. And her, her behaviour kind of escalates. But, but essentially she's not, really doing anything wrong she's mm. just perceived as doing things wrong and this is then sets the tone for what happens in the rest of the film i think i think we've read much of it in the same way um but i also got the feeling that there was more to it than that that you know this was a child who wasn't you know inherently drawn to the dark side mm. yeah she was mm. always pushing limits doing the wrong thing yeah, kind of always being corrected, you know, but kind of also clearly someone who is in that world. Yeah, who, who also wants to be good. So, yeah, she does. Yeah. She does her penances. Right? <laughs> but that there is something. Yeah, that kind mm. of inherently bad about her. Yeah. 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 Did you get that? I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly later on when she's, a, I guess, a young teenager, she's reenacting the death of Joan of Arc <laughs> and um, when she's older sort of she, you know showing her her private parts to the to the local boys local teenagers I also got something that seemed to be hinted at that there was more to the relationship with her mentor yeah so she's she's brought up and she talks about the priest later and I think she becomes that priest's housekeeper. I think it's supposed to be yes. the same priest. But between each each of these sequences, you see you know, a photo of the girl at the age she's been in the previous sequence, and then a photo of her with the priest, mm. and then a photo of her at the age she's in the, ne- in the next sequence. And yeah, the photos of her with the priest, there's nothing explicit about the photos. They're just, it's just two people standing next to each other, but it's just the way they're standing together, you get the impression of a, a slightly um, inappropriate relationship, yes. I think. Yes, I think that's very well and very subtly. Uh, conveyed um, in what is not a very subtle film. So Matea is sent to work uh, for Father Feliz, a happy, the happy priest, uh, in this provincial village. His whole depiction is a critique of the church. So, you know, he's like a nice man, kind of easygoing, you know, who claims to be talking about the vow of poverty, even at the same time, as you see his table full of food and tea and good china, and he's throwing crumbs into the air, and he takes out his big fat cigar to smoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, he doesn't want to invest in, a, in another cassock, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, you know, again, a very interesting and complex mm. uh, picture, right? Because yeah, yeah. he is meant to be sympathetic, right? He is someone who sticks to his vows. Uh, there's one parishioner who makes advances at him and he turns it down. So then his developing relationship with Matea is seen to be one which is effective as well as just sexual, right? And kind of this combination of love in relation to sex is important in the film because the whole of the drama is preceded when the 
a village doctor asks the priest if, she, if he could go out with her, if he could take her out, and they go, and then he tries to rape her, basically. I, yeah, there's mm. no other way of... Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, essentially, you, it, it starts off as a kind of romantic scene, and he's, yeah, he's kind of, in quotes, done the right thing by asking the priest if he can escort her out and, and sort of asks her to go further. I think she, you know, she says no, and that's the point where he... He essentially starts ripping her clothes, and it's not—it's not a. It doesn't go as far as showing a rape, and there isn't a rape because she pushes him off. But, uh, but it is—it is clearly that's his intention. Yeah. yeah. So there's an attempted rape, and actually that's all handled so well, because it's kind of filmed in a long shot, in front of the beach. She's very vulnerable and cowering, and victimized, until something overtakes her. Yeah, and she becomes like vengeance or fury personified. Mm. Yeah, she starts screaming, and this happens in one of the childhood scenes as well. Yeah, the the oddest one of those where a group of girls are going for their first communion. At first, you think maybe she's one of those girls, but she's not. She's kind of standing at the back on her own, and mm. for whatever reason, she isn't given her first communion, and she just starts screaming. And initially, I thought there was something something supernatural going on, but I, mm. I think in the end, what happens is the the girls kind of spin round. One of their dresses catches on on the candles, and the dress catches fire. But essentially, that that screaming is is the same as we see in the um, in that scene with the doctor. To the extent I was expecting the doctor to burst into flames, but uh, yeah. that doesn't happen, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> what does happen is that then this becomes a catalyst for the priest and Matea to start a relationship. They fall in love. This happens simultaneously with the doctor being humiliated, starting rumors about what's happening, and turning the village against the priest. To me, I, th I think the sequence was more that the, the attempted rape happens, the doctor then starts spreading rumors in terms of village against him, because he says immorality is going on in the church with the, mm. with the priest and the housekeeper. And at that point, it isn't. But as a, it's as a result of that rumor that it, that it happens, I'm, yeah, I'm not quite right. sure whether it's simultaneous or, or afterwards. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. The doctor spreads rumors. They bond in their exile, so to speak, uh, start a sexual relationship. The village bourgeoisie becomes even harsher. The priest becomes ill and the doctor refuses to treat him. And there's this fantastic image where Matea goes to seek help and they're all uh, at a garden party playing with a puzzle mm. and the puzzle ends up being like a sacred heart, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is extraordinary. And I think that's one of the things about this film that is extraordinary, I think, just the whole visual dimension of it. All right, there's a scene at the end where you know, the parishioners gather outside the church and it begins with diagonal lines of shadows and little by little, the whole village kind of streams out, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is extraordinary images, really, uh, and kind of very powerfully symbolic, yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that's very characteristic of Ripstein so far, of the things that we've seen. There are films that often seem very simple because the compositions are sparse, and they're simple, and they'll often figure just a face. But actually, if you see then how they're constructed and the color and the composition, you know, they're really powerful, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So the scene where she goes to open up the safe 
you know, to take out the chalice, you know, but the safe is in a, a, a golden heart and it's kind of, it's locked away yeah? and only she's got the key. Yeah. yeah. It's on an altar. <laughs> I mean, it really is like, you know, yeah, you think yeah. about it, the, more, the richer it becomes really. So take us from this point. So the point now is that the village shuns them, the doctor refuses to cure him and the priest dies and now she's out for vengeance. <laughs> exactly yes it turn, kind of turns into a revenge film and what what she does effectively is kind of appoint herself as as the priestess and so she takes over the church does a lot of wandering around the church naked as we mm-hmm. said earlier kind of ringing the bells summoning she a new priest arrives and she she refuses to let him stay and, and you know the scene where she has sex with the priest must have been very very shocking in mexico at the time but the scene where you know effectively a woman is leading communion that may have been viewed as even more blasphemous than than her having sex with the priest you know um uh, because you know she effectively she has the communion wafers she she's standing at the altar um it's a very kind of transgressive thing in a in a catholic country very transgressive and very powerful and very much used as a critique so one of the things is that she says that the priest on his deathbed told her all of the sins of all of the parishioners Right. Very interestingly, one of them wants to pay so that her sin gets kept quiet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is that she's been having an affair with another man. Uh, but she'll only pay if she finds out everybody else's secret. Yeah. <laughs> and she wants to be in the know, right? Yeah. Which I thought, you know, was a very interesting and clever twist. Uh, and what you get also is a denunciation of provincial life in it's kind of full-blown criminality. So these people who are people of God, who go pray and who go to confession, they are uh, drug dealers who grow marijuana, who have killed uh, the leader of the peasants who was out to reveal them, and the guy has married his wife. Like, the level of corruption that is... Yeah, there's, of... yeah the school teacher is, is groping his female pupils. There's another man who I, I think is supposed to be having sex with boys, and effectively she summons them all to church using the bells, and then stands at the altar and just denounces them all one by one, and you find, you find all the secrets, but they all end up just laughing because I guess they just all know I guess if everyone's corrupt who cares <laughs> yeah I mean that that again was very interesting and I think actually very interesting to relate to these Boris Johnson Donald Trump times because the thing is none of them feel any remorse or guilt you know so all these good Catholics have no guilt you know no remorse for what they've done no even attempt to make up for it or pray for it or any no so their response is to laugh. I, if nobody believes it, it isn't true. It never happened. In their eyes, there really is no God. Yeah, if nobody believes it, it can't be seen. It hasn't existed. Yeah, right? yeah. So actually, their own response is a negation of God. Mm. Yeah, which yeah. I thought was like yeah. a fascinating kind of twist. Yeah, to to the film. Um, what did you make of the ending, though? Because where does that leave her? Yeah, exactly. Because you know, she's denounced everybody. They've all just laughed and left the church. And she's kind of left alone in the church. Where, where that leaves her, I, I don't know. She perhaps has to leave town and find another priest. <laughs> but how did the ending feel to you as an ending? I thought it was a great, it was a great ending. I mean, you, you know, how else 
could have added she could have set fire to the church of them inside or something but she's done what she can to denounce them and then realize that actually she's been beaten by them i think because because they've they've ignored her and just laughed at her mm. nothing's going to change i thought what was interesting about this film is that the focus is on her you know which i've not seen in a film of this type except for maria luisa Wemberg's camilla right so it's interesting that it takes a female director to make this kind of priest parishioner affair type of thing yeah and make that the focus on the women rather than on the man rather than the priest torn by guilt and <laughs> <laughs> right so it, it's obviously a whole genre in yeah you know no you, you're right it's, it's interesting because you don't really find out anything about how the priest feels about what's going on a little bit i mean you feel that the priest is more concerned with her yeah, right. yeah. Uh, then, There's certainly when they're having then. the affair, you don't, you know, you don't see him having crisis of conscience or whatever. I mean, they're both in love, and that seems to make mm. up for everything. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, in this quite godless film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose my overall view is that it's a film that, like you, I thought was better than the Castle of Purity, that has gotten me even more interested in the work of Arturo Ripstein, uh, and actually particularly his aesthetic, his mise-en-scene, how you could make films this, this emotionally rich, you know, this, this critical of the culture. It's a film that has things to say, not the least about gender, right? And kind of do it with such sparse means, yeah? You know, because the sparsity of those means is evident even in what you see. So not just that, you know, they're relatively simple setups, that they only figure one or two people on screen, right? But you could see, for example, in the scenes where they go on the street, the kids have been told to disperse from camera, and then one of them is not following the rules and keeps yeah. looking, and <laughs> it hasn't been reshot or cut. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah it's kind of, you know, the, the budget clearly wasn't, wasn't there for that, right? So I think it's kind of like a, you know, a, a really brilliant example of this type of cinema. Yeah, looking at both those films, the subject matter of both films could have been, in both cases, just purely an exploitation film or just purely a genre film. And, and they're, they're both far more interesting than that. As you speculated earlier, was the funding for this one based on the expectation it was going to be a, a sexy exploitation film, which it is. Yeah. It is a sexy exploitation film, but it, it's, it's a lot more, you know, similarly, Castle of Purity is a, you know, kind of a horror film, but there's a lot more to it than that. I think it's worth saying that the film was uh, only released uh, five years after it was made. So it was made in 77, it was released in 83. The 1984 Ariel Awards, which are like the Academy Awards uh, of Mexican cinema, I think it was nominated for seven awards. The lead actress won for Best Actress, okay. which I think is something, again, you know, very, very uh, interesting, right? So Isela Vega, here in this exploitation film, taking all her clothes off, you know, at the end of the process, she is voted the Best Actress in Mexican Cinema for 1984. I haven't seen the other candidates, but she's incredibly good, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so well-deserved, I think. Well, it's a film that we both enjoyed very much, that we highly recommend, that's in movie as part of a cycle of five Arturo Ripstein films. 
and we will continue to look at the rest of them in uh, the weeks that follow. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And we're thinking aloud about cinema. Bye-bye. Bye.